Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Half-Baked Harvest's Tegan Gerard. Tegan started her Half-Baked Harvest blog 10 years ago, and since then, she's written three cookbooks, including her latest, Half-Baked Harvest Every Day. She has 4.7 million followers on Instagram, where she showcases cozy recipes like fluffy pumpkin butter chocolate chip pancakes, crispy chipotle chicken tacos with cilantro lime ranch, and creamy sun-dried tomato chicken and orzo. So many people post food content on Instagram and TikTok, hoping they'll gain enough followers so they can quit their job at the old mill and get sponsored by a fancy vacuum cleaner company so they can make videos of cinnamon roll avocado toast kombucha for a living. And then there are the scoffers, folks who don't think being an influencer is a real job. In this episode, we'll pull back the curtain on what it's really like to be a professional culinary content creator. It is so much behind the scenes work. It's just not even funny. And creating one single piece of content can be days, weeks worth of work. And in this moment in time, we can't talk about culinary content creators without mentioning the viral video of the moment, The Butterboard, and its creator, Justine Doran, known as Justine Snacks Online. The video I made is up to like 8 million views and too many articles that I can count and and way more opinions. All of this coming up, but first, my conversation with Tegan Gerard. Let's just start with telling your story. How did you start the blog? I started just out of high school. So I had just turned 19. I just had cooked for my family growing up. I'm actually now one of eight kids. We just have a big family and I grew up as the only girl. I was one of five brothers. And then my little sister was born when I was 16. It was just chaos. I just started cooking to kind of help my family out. With dinner, we would eat really late. So I was like, I'm over this. And we, all we would eat was like tacos or chicken and rice. And that's how I started cooking. I'm not formally trained or anything like that. Like I just like took a Rachel Ray recipe and made it. And then I just like kept going with cooking. And I did that really all throughout middle school and high school. Really thought nothing of it. Always said I wanted to go into fashion. I wanted to be a stylist. I dressed my grandma's mannequin that she had in her closet. <laughs> like I really love lived and breathed like fashion when I was a kid and still love it to this day. I had gotten accepted to this school, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising out in LA, moved to LA for three months. And then I was kind of like, I do not like LA. This is not my scene. I was young. I was homesick. It was really my mom that was kind of like, you should just start a food blog. She really like built the site. I put up my first post and literally just never stopped. So that is how I started. Never looked back. And here I am. What was your first post? I actually love it. The photos are horrible, but it was a butternut squash soup. I had these little ghost crouton, cheesy ghost taken bread and taken a ghost cookie cutter because I love Halloween. And then put cheese on the ghost and like put it on top of the soup as like ghost croutons. You were really creative from the beginning with styling. What I really love is styling. Mm. I really love making things look pretty. So you're like a fashion designer for food, basically. (laughs) You have so many recipes. I mean, you have three cookbooks full and then you have your whole Instagram page full. What is your week like? How many recipes are you developing per week? 
every day is different. It's never the same. And so the way that I create recipes is, is really in a very like visual, creative way and not very planned out with things. Like I come in to our studio in the morning and I have no idea what I'm making. And sometimes mm. it takes me a really long time to figure it out. And sometimes I'm like, great, I'm going to do this, 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 and this recipe. And I get to work. Sometimes I only get one recipe completed that day. Sometimes I get two or three. It's never any more than three. That's three is a really good day, but it takes a lot of time. I am not only testing the recipe, but then I'm also working to film the recipe for video and photograph the recipe for website. And I'm really in the kitchen from, you know, 8.30 a.m. until the sun sets because I only use natural light. I don't use any lights or anything. So I'm pretty much always here in our studio till 8 p.m. when I'm home in Colorado, really working to create recipes at least five to six days a week. So if you say you walk in and you don't know what you're going to make, does that mean that you just always have to keep a ton of food around so that you have things to cook with when you come up with an idea? Or do you base what you're going to make on what's in the fridge? So I have a really well-stocked pantry and my fridge is usually very well-stocked as well. But I mean, we're going to the grocery store sometimes once a day, sometimes every other day. It just depends. So when you say we, do you have a team? Do people shop for you? Do you have to wash all the dishes? So I do have a team. It's a very small team. It's my family, basically. My mom has always been my business partner from day one, from the day that she helped start the site. So she does all of the back end of the blog. She does so many different things. She's very behind the scenes. She does a lot of logistical things, a lot of website things and stuff like that. And then my dad from day one has always done the dishes. And so he'll clean up. I mean, I'm helping him. We're doing it together. So it's not just like he's doing it. But he also does the grocery store shopping. I don't do that, um, which is so nice and definitely helps me get so much more done. That's so nice. Going Going to the grocery store would be a huge time suck. Like, I don't live with my parents either, but we are neighbors, basically. So it's like the easiest thing. But like my dad's out of town this week and it's all me. So what do you think is the most misunderstood part about being a food influencer on Instagram? Oh, gosh, there's so many misconceptions. I mean, it is so much behind the scenes work. It's just not even funny. And Instagram makes it harder for you by the day. There's so much adjusting. I mean, the work that goes involved in creating one single piece of content can be days, weeks worth of work. You have to create the recipe, you have to photograph the recipe, you have to video the recipe, creating an Instagram reel, you got to create the blog post and then write the recipe. And then, you know, on top of all of the content, there's also the business side of it that means you got to respond to emails. You know, maybe you're working on a sponsored campaign and you're working with a brand and you need to be doing that. You know, we have other outside projects that we're working on that don't even like have anything to do with the website. And so I just think that people don't understand how much work it is to actually like have your own business and work on the internet space because it's 24 seven, you really don't ever have like a moment to shut off. It always keeps going. Yeah. And I mean, you hear that all the time that if you don't post all the time, then the algorithm kind of forgets about you. How do you handle that? Are you able to take a vacation? Are you able to take a break? So consistency has been a really big thing for me. I've always been very consistent. I'm posting every single day without a doubt, um, because I think it's really important for your community, your followers to really be able to count on like, oh, hey, this is when I'm going to see something from Tegan or whatever. I don't know. I don't ever take a real break. That's the thing about having owning your own business and being someone in this space is that you really do have to be on 
24 seven, like nothing ever sleeps. When I do travel, whether it's for work or vacation, I am bulking my content. So I'm getting all of that content photographed and shot, videoed before I leave so that I have all that and I'm editing it and working on it while traveling. So that's how I'm able to travel. Let's talk about tomato paste. Um, I got to note that there is a particular way that you like to eat it that I am unfamiliar with. Well, it's so weird. I don't even know when, like I've been doing this since I was a kid, but I think tomato paste is delicious. And I will literally just take carrots and like dip it in there like it's hummus. And I don't love hummus and eat tomato paste. I think it's so good. Fun fact, I also turn my little sister onto this and she also does this. It's the most random thing. (laughs) I was a really weird kid. Like I didn't eat potato chips. I didn't like fast food, but like I would come home and I would go to this fridge and like grab a bag of the baby carrots because we didn't have like a ton of vegetables. I mean, I had five brothers. Like my mom was buying frozen chicken nuggets and frozen pizza for dinner. Like that's what we were doing. And like that was our after school snack. My mom would make Cincinnati chili a lot as a kid. And Cincinnati chili is a really thick chili. It uses her recipe, at least uses two cans of tomato paste. So we always had tomato paste on hand. And I don't know, I must have just tried it at some point and like loved it. Well, your habit is so useful because most of the time you open the little can of tomato paste and you only use a couple tablespoons and you're like, what am I going to do with this? And then I freeze it and then I throw it away eventually and... I also think that tomato paste is one of the most underused, underrated ingredients. It can be used in so many recipes. You know, you can add wine or water to it to really make a really a rich sauce. That's how I make my vodka sauce. It's a really, really rich, intense tomato flavor. In the winter and things when tomatoes are not fresh, like it's a really concentrated flavor versus a canned tomato. Have you ever served a bowl of tomato paste as a dip or is this like your alone oh, food? With God, your... no. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is totally like just a random thing, but no, just my little sister. Tegan's most popular recipes are a little more sophisticated than dipping carrots into tomato paste. I have a really popular white chicken chili that is so great this time of year. I have a really great non recipe that is just made over and over and over again. My five ingredient beer bread is, I say my best recipe is a five ingredient honey butter beer bread and it's game changer good. I have a, a really good peanut chicken ramen that's one of my most popular recipes. I have a pasta alla vodka that is really, really popular. I, I do it like spicy with pesto. the theme music. That means it is time for a quick break. Tegan's last meal is coming up in the third act of the show. I'm going to make you wait for it. But when we come back, Justine Doran shares how a 30 second butterboard video changed her life. like the news cycle, trends move fast on social media. One day, we're all eating baked feta tomato pasta. The next, we're squirting mustard onto watermelon. And a couple months ago, the trend du jour was the butterboard. It had a moment for about a month, and it's finally started 
to peter out. That's Justine Doran, known as Justine Snacks on Instagram and TikTok. So for people who have been in a coma, what is the Butterboard and how many clicks, likes has it gotten at this point? The Butterboard is a concept that I took from the 2017 cookbook, Six Seasons by Josh McFadden. And it's essentially just a very fun way to spread butter out on a board, serve it communally. The video I made is up to like 8 million views and too many articles and way more opinions. In her video, Justine starts with this very cute little wooden board that is shaped like a slice of bread. She smears butter on it like she's frosting a cake and tops it with flaky salt, lemon zest, fresh herbs, crushed spices, slivers of raw onion, a drizzle of honey, and edible flowers. She tears off a hunk of crusty seedy bread and drags it through the butter. I was instantly smitten with the concept. So I made a butterboard because I'm an American and it's the law. And I followed you on Instagram. I saw your butterboard. Yeah, thank you. And so I brought it over to a little backyard party and I walked up with it and they all went, we were just talking about butterboards. It was a surprise. I didn't want to tell anyone. And I didn't even know if they would know what it was. And then now we have a group chat on Marco Polo and we're called the Butterboard Babes in your I'm honor. so glad you're team Butterboard. If you're either not Butterboard or you're so into Butterboard and I just, the controversy's gotten crazy and I'm so glad you're team Butterboard. Why do you think there's controversy? Because to be clear, it's basically just eating bread and butter, but instead of it being a stick of butter, it's smeared out on a plate. Yeah. I thought it was just a fun way to eat a stick of butter and the internet had other ideas. <laughs> People are very worried about the bacteria and the health aspect. And I'm just out here trying to convince people to play with their food, for lack of a better word. If it's a bacteria issue, then what about a charcuterie board? Isn't that the same thing? Yeah. And also, like, I think people don't like the idea of dipping it, which I totally get. But if you just serve it with a knife, it's essentially a charcuterie board, but like with a different kind of dairy. Unlike Kanye, Justine's controversy did nothing but bolster her success. She got to make a butterboard on Good Morning America. And then I got to go on Rachel Ray, which was really fun. She's got a really cool operation going. Mm. Um, but that also scared the pants off of me. This podcast scaring me a little less, but still still intimidating. Folks started making cream cheese boards and frosting boards and hummus boards. And Justine gained about 100,000 new followers, which is very helpful when you make your living as a content creator. What did you do for a living before this? So I was a publicist. I loved my job. I loved my team. Um, I was in the TV industry. I started Justine Snacks in the pandemic because TikTok was blowing up. And I was like, oh no, my boss is going to ask me how to use this. So I need to learn how to use this. And I really didn't want to lose my job because it was a great job. And so I was like, what I can do anonymously is like make little recipes and put them on the internet. And then that started to blow up a little over a year into it. I was in a tricky situation with my company where they had to set a standard for people with social media followings, which is something they never had to do before. Mm. It was kind of like a choose the following or choose the job. And I was really lucky to choose the following. How long have you done this? Just a couple of years. Um, I started in May of 2021, a year and a half, almost two years. Do you have a manager? How do you manage the brands? And how do you know how much to charge as a chronic undercharger myself, which a lot of women do? Um, mm -hmm. How did you make sure that you could make a living doing this? Actually, I got management pretty quickly. I got management about five months in and I let her handle the pricing. It is impossible to know um, what to charge and what is within people's 
scopes. And if you think you don't have the right equipment to film videos that will garner you 2 million followers on TikTok. So I film at a table right up against a window and I use a roll of tape and I stick my iPhone 13 in it. Not Pro Max, just the normal one. And that's how I get all my side shots. And then I have a little dinky tripod, which is Amazon's choice. If you're looking for it, just it's the first one you can buy. And my little induction burner and table. It's a very scrappy operation. I know the answer you're going to say to this, but I have to ask you anyway. How can you predict a viral trend on social media? Oh, wait, no, I'm going to turn that back on you. What do you think the answer is? I think the answer is that you can't. People say that you can't predict. Yeah, I think especially now with everybody being some form of a content creator, if you are earnestly trying to go viral, that is shooting you in the foot. I think having the intention of a video being really true to who you are and creative is what's going to perform best and trying for it is not going to do it. Which is why it drives me crazy when brands are like, we're really looking for this viral moment. And I'm like, as soon as you say it, I can't do it, you know? Justine says she never would have predicted that the butterboard would blow up. Okay, I guess I'll give you the inside scoop. Like, I think your podcast is going to get the the first truth. Um, the butterboard was an insanely easy video for me to make. And I was going on a trip. So I needed just like a video that was really pretty and really cool and really easy. And all of my videos are like 90 seconds long to like two minutes. And this one was 30 seconds. So I was like, oh, it'll go up. It'll do fine. It'll be fun. And I wake up the next morning and it's doing better than any video I've ever had. Uh, so the butterboard was a complete accident, but aren't accidents always the most serendipitous things? So beyond the butterboard, she is the mother of all virality. Um, what are some of your other recipes that have done really well before that? Oh, Lord. I am blessed to have many that have been kissed by the TikTok gods. So I have the blueberry cookies, which have gone viral not once, but twice. Trader Joe's butternut squash mac and cheese remake recently did really well. The baked kale salad with crispy quinoa. I love it when um, like a dinner goes viral. Dinners are hard sometimes to get people excited about. So I love when that happens. Time for a quick break. But when we come back... Tegan shares her last meal. What would you choose for your last meal? That's got to be everybody's hardest question to answer. There's so many good recipes. It depends on what the season is. I just like feeling the mood. But I think that my last meal would definitely be one of my dad's pasta dishes. I just love them. And they're so comforting to me. Uh, He does a really good baked pasta that is like just he's made it since I was a kid. And it is always good. It's so simple. Um, It has tons of cheese and red peppers on top. And it's just it's so good. Tell me more about what's in this particular one. Like what's the sauce? What kind of pasta shape do you like? What kind of cheese? It's a little bit different every single time. It's one of those meals. He he would just take things from the fridge and throw in whatever he had, but it always turned out really, really good. Usually he would use angel hair pasta because that's my mom's favorite. Tons of spices. He would do basically like his own Italian spice blend. So like there was always basil, always oregano, chili flakes. He would do like the store-bought chopped garlic, throw in some like Kalamata olives, maybe some pepperoncinis. Top it with a ton of mozzarella cheese and the 
you would really thinly slice red bell peppers. And this is like the key to the dish. You load on the bell peppers on top of the cheese until the point where you're like, this is so many peppers. Like this is, but he throws it in the oven and he bakes it for like 45 minutes. Sometimes he would put pepperonis on top and then like a little extra Parmesan. The peppers like bake down and roast down and they're just the most delicious thing with the cheese and the pasta. And he does the sauce is like an olive oil based sauce. So it's, it's so simple, but so delicious. That's interesting. You don't hear of many baked pasta dishes with strand pasta, like an angel hair pasta. It's usually like the short tubes. My guess is that one night he had that on hand and my mom loves because my mom loves angel hair pasta. It's it's funny because he doesn't really like angel hair, but he adapts to her. Um, That's love, baby. It, there, that's yeah. Um, <laughs> so my guess is that's just what he used like the first time he ever made it. And he just kind of like kept going with it. For her last meal, Tegan wants her dad's baked angel hair pasta with olives and garlic, maybe some pepperoncinis, melted mozzarella, and billions of red peppers roasted on top. Since you cook so much and there's food around all the time, do you miss being cooked for? I mean, you said your dad doesn't make it as much anymore. When you do get cooked for, do you feel like, oh, I'm being taken care of? I, I, um, no, I mean, I do love my dad's meals and he's probably the only person that I would like, really like, like, you know, want to cook for me because I'm a control freak and I love to, I love the control. That's another reason why I liked cooking for the family because it was like something I could control. Like I controlled when dinner was on the table. I controlled when we were having, like, I'm a little bit of a control freak in that way. And that was Tegan Gerard's last meal. Find all of her recipes and buy her books at halfbakedharvest.com. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks to Justine Doran. You can find all her recipes at justinesnacks.com. I can vouch that her sourdough bread recipe is perfection. And the Butterboard Babes love her so. Well, thank you so much. You have a bunch of 40-plus fans in Seattle who love you and everything that you do. Oh, my God. I love them. Tell them I say hi. Tell them I'm so glad they're Team Butterboard. (laughs) So I'm so jealous of that group chat. We will add you. You will be bored so fast, but we will add you. This episode was produced by me and Laura Scott. But this is Laura's final episode working on the show. So let's pretend we're all awkwardly standing around a table in an office, eating mediocre sheet cake, and wishing Laura a heartfelt farewell. Make sure you're following along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell. That is where you can see a photo of my butterboard, plus video clips of the interviews I do with my guests. Theme music is by Prom Queen. Please subscribe to the show and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference getting those reviews. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is your last meal. Hello. Hi. You look naked in with the background. <gasps> I have a tank top on. I, could I believe it's you. Like, it's like hot in my apartment. I was baking cookies. So typical. Nice. <laughs> um, my nakedness is going to bother me. So I'm putting on a Okay. A Sorry. I don't want to give you a complex. <laughs> also, I binged the podcast the entire weekend. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. I, 
Well, I'm a big food podcast person. And when you reached out, I was surprised I hadn't heard of it. It is so good. Thank you. My guilty pleasure. This just reminded me because I listened to it this morning. Have you ever listened to Ina Garten's podcast? She has a podcast. They take the show and they turn it into a podcast and it's these celebrity interviews. It's a guilty pleasure because it's so cheesy and it's like so wholesome. And the intro, she's like, welcome to my podcast. Pause. How fun is that? That is my dream. And like every time I get in the weeds comparing myself to another content creator, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? Ina Garten's been nothing but herself and I can continue in her legacy. Yeah. 